Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Joseph the Dreamer was born into a family of 12 sons and one daughter. His 10 older brothers were determined to kill his dreams and his fashion sense. After their father gives him a coat of many colors, these brothers decide they are tired of Joseph being favored. They sell him to the Ishmaelites who auction him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt, in Potiphar's house, where he is falsely accused of crimes against Potiphar's wife and sent to prison. While in prison, he begins to interpret the prisoner's dreams correctly. He is even asked to decipher the dreams of Egypt's ruler, Pharaoh, which he does, after which he is released from prison and elevated as second in command in all of Egypt. When famine strikes, Joseph's brothers come to Egypt in search of food, but unbeknownst to them, have to barter with their long lost brother Joseph in the process. Joseph devises a plan to get them to return with his youngest brother, Benjamin. And when they did, he finally revealed who he was. Joseph then invites the entire family of 70 to join him and live in Egypt. Greetings, everyone. I want to welcome all those uh, watching from our various regionals. And I also want to welcome our online audience from all around the world. Well, it's been a great week here in Calgary as we are just about going to wrap up our stampede. You know, the Calgary stampede boasts every year of exotic foods for the most adventurous at heart. They had the scorpion pizza last year. And for this year, they stepped it up a few more notches and introduced the most anticipated dish. Are you ready for this? The cockroach pizza. <laughs> Trust me, I'm not making this up. But unfortunately, a huge shipment of cockroaches were refused entry into Canada and are held up right now at our border. <laughs> so a news item reported, Adventurous eaters looking forward to seeing if they can stomach cockroach pizza at this year's Calgary Stampede will be disappointed that the icky insect topping is now off the menu. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, if the animal activists were to find out, they'll be mad that it's not just horses that die during stampede, but cockroaches die as well. <laughs> Last weekend, we began our summer sermon series, Living in God's Story. And Pastor Kent spoke to us from the life of Abraham. God invited Abraham into his story through a personal relationship. And he commissioned Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. That's what he does today. He calls us into a personal relationship and he sends us out as his ambassadors. The next four weeks, I'll be sharing with you stories of different Bible characters from the Old Testament, and we will focus on the theme, living in God's story. All of life is a story. Have you thought about this? Every individual's life has sufficient material that can make for a great novel. Author John Eldridge points out, 
Life doesn't come to us like a math problem. It comes to us like a story does, scene by scene. A year goes by like a chapter from a novel. Sometimes it seems like a tragedy, sometimes like a comedy. Most of it feels like a soap opera. Either way, it's a story through and through. Love affairs, layoffs, collapse of empires, and your child's first day at school. None of it makes sense without a story. While this is so true, so many people live without a plot line to their story. They move from one scene to another without a larger unifying theme. But the Christian worldview helps us to see life differently. Life is not just a random story without meaning. When we become followers of Christ, God steps into our story. And it gets even better when we understand not only is God part of our story, but our stories are now part of God's story as well. So that means our lives are not just independent, self-contained stories, but they are part of this grand narrative, the self-revelation of God to the world. So every Christian who ever lived from the characters of the Bible to present-day Christians, including you and me, we are part of this single, all-encompassing story of God revealing Himself to the world. And in this message, I want to share with you, when you live in God's story, when your story is aligned with His story, then your life is no longer a random set of events that just happen. It's not a series of accidents or chemical reactions, but all of the dots of your life connect together and makes perfect sense in light of this larger story. You need to believe this because you will inevitably enter into seasons in your life when it appears your story has gone off script. When it feels like your story doesn't make any sense. See, there will be seasons in your life when all you can see is disappointments and heartbreaks, and you wonder, is there really a larger meaning to my life story? But be encouraged, for even those dark chapters play an important role in the unfolding of God's purposes in your life. I want to demonstrate this for us through a fascinating story in the book of Genesis, through the life of Joseph. Joseph is one of those remarkable Christ-like figures in the Old Testament. While most of the Old Testament personalities had major character flaws, Joseph is a cut about the rest. He comes across as a man of impeccable character to the point that the Bible doesn't have anything negative to say about Joseph. I want to read to us from the last part of Joseph's life, for it serves as a unifying theme that brought his whole story together. So would you stand with me as we read from Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 to 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, 
Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Shall we pause and ask God to speak to us today? Father, we come to you knowing that uh, you are a sovereign God and you have uh, brought us into your story. Today, God, I want to pray for those of us who are wrestling with major disappointments in life and are not able to make sense of their story. God, would you give them a revelation from above? You would speak to them through your word in the power of your spirit that we will know that you are behind our story, behind the circumstances of our life, even the ones that are painful. And you're able to use them to build us and to draw us closer to you. So we commit this time to the leading of your spirit and we pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I once heard something so profound that the words have stayed with me. And surprisingly, it came from the mouth of a non-Christian, someone who doesn't hold to the biblical worldview. But nevertheless, what this person said resonated with my heart. It was an iconic commencement address delivered in 2005 to graduating students from Stanford University by Steve Jobs, the, the co-founder of Apple. He passed away in 2011 at the age of 56 after a long battle with cancer. Steve, on that day, shared with the students some important lessons from his life. And this is what he looked at the students and he said this, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backward. To me, that one statement is of more value than the Macintosh, iPod, iTunes, iPhone, you know, all of these things put together. You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backward. Life is not just a random set of dots on a graph. The dots do connect together, and oftentimes you can only see them in retrospect. What Steve Jobs didn't tell that day is the fact that the dots in life don't just connect accidentally. The reason the dots in life connect is because there is a sovereign God who's behind those scenes, actively involved in the details of our life. So he does the work of connection. And it is the vantage point of hindsight that helps us to be able to see this activity of God in our life. So that means... Even the seasons of heartbreaks, 
disappointments and the shattering experiences of life have a role to play in fulfilling God's ultimate plans for our life. When you read about Joseph's life, it appears like a series of hard knocks. Joseph recovers from one severe blow only to be brought down by another one. You can't make sense of those things looking forward. But Joseph, towards the end of his life, looked back at his storyline and the dots connected, not accidentally, but God was involved in all of the details of his life and worked everything out for his good purposes. The same God is weaving a pattern in your life, and we always don't always notice it at first. It may seem to us like a bunch of threads with no apparent connection. But when you stop and focus, you will be amazed to see how God was weaving a pattern through your life circumstances. Every thread matters and serves a specific purpose. Let me demonstrate this for you as we look at snapshots of Joseph's life. Joseph grew up in a dysfunctional home. He was part of a family where sin patterns were handed down from one generation to another. In Genesis chapter 37, we see Joseph as a 17-year-old, his dad's favorite son. Genesis 37 verse 3 says, Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. Joseph and Benjamin were sons of Rachel, Jacob's beloved wife. The rest of the brothers were sons of Leah or one of the concubines. No parent should ever do this to favor one child over the others. Jacob was guilty of this sin. And to add to that, he gave his favorite son a coat, which is popularly called as the coat of many colors. Joseph walked around with that coat on, a visible display for the rest of the brothers that he was his dad's favorite son. No wonder his brothers hated him. At age 17, Joseph had an intimate walk with God to the point God was able to reveal his destiny for Joseph's life in the form of two dreams. Okay, we find this in Genesis chapter 37. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. 
When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Joseph had already strained his relationship with his brothers, and now this dream was going to make things worse. See, there is no doubting the fact that these dreams had a divine origin because years later, they come to pass. But at age 17, Joseph was not ready for it. He was still a raw material and God had to prepare him before he could take him to the destiny that he had in mind for Joseph's life. See, God has to do a deep work within us before he can do anything through us. And often that deep work in us is accomplished through the hard knocks of life. Adversities serve to build character and resilience. Until age 17, Joseph's life was relatively smooth. But soon his world would turn upside down because of the jealousy of his brothers. Joseph's brothers had taken the flock to feed them in a grassland far from home while Joseph stayed with his dad. Yet another example of Jacob's favoritism. And after a while, Jacob sent Joseph as a spy to find out what his brothers were doing. And when they saw Joseph coming, the brothers said to themselves, here comes the dreamer. Let's just kill him to see what becomes of his dreams. Joseph was stripped of his special robe and cast into a pit. And at that time, the brothers saw a caravan approaching. A group of traders were passing by. Joseph's brothers saw here an economic opportunity. So they decided to sell Joseph as a slave for 20 pieces of silver. They thought it was better off than killing him. Now let that sink in for a moment. Joseph was just a teenager. He must have pleaded with his brothers not to do this. The prospect of being taken away from his father's house into some strange country as a bonded laborer was too daunting for a 17-year-old. And even as you picture this vivid scene in your mind, you can hear Joseph sobbing, begging, imploring his brothers, don't do this, please don't do this, no, no. The anguish, the agony, and the heartache when your life comes apart at the seams because of the diabolic acts of others. Joseph was chained and made to walk on foot. A 30-day grueling journey before the traders would stop by at Egypt where he would be sold as a merchandise. Joseph's brothers, on the other hand, had come up with a clever plan to deceive their father. They killed a goat and applied its blood on Joseph's favorite coat, took it to their father Jacob, and they said, do you know who this belongs to? We just found this on the way. That very robe 
that had set Joseph apart as the favorite son was now soaked in blood. From a human point of view, the curtains had come down and Joseph's story was all but over. His dreams had been shattered. There was not much left. Mind you, that's from a human point of view. From God's point of view, Joseph was inching towards his destiny. God was weaving the threads unknown to Joseph, and we see the glimpse of a design emerging. The group of traders happened to stop by in Egypt and sell Joseph to Potiphar, an important royal official in Pharaoh's court. Genesis chapter 39 verses 1 and 2 tells us, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. The Lord was with Joseph. Among all the changes that Joseph would experience in his life, in the midst of all the ups and downs that he would go through, there was one constant in Joseph's life. The Lord was very present with him. And Joseph maintained this relationship with God even through the dark chapters of his life. After landing in Potiphar's house, Joseph was slowly making his way up from this pit of despair. Because the Lord was with Joseph, he found favor in Potiphar's eyes. And he rose in the ranks and was assigned greater responsibilities. It came to the point Potiphar gave Joseph the responsibility of running his household. All was going well for a season, but it was now time for the second hard knock. Genesis 39, the last part of verse 6 tells us, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And Mrs. Potiphar had her eyes on Joseph. If you're a lonely young man, you will be flattered by the fact that your boss's wife thinks you are sexy and is flirting with you. Joseph could have justified after all, am I not entitled to some pleasures in life? I didn't initiate this. It just came my way. He could have rationalized this in so many ways. You know, when we are bent on doing something, it is amazing how our mind can come up with justifications for our actions. But Joseph simply refused. He saw sexual sin for what it is, an act of disobedience against God. Notice this in his response to Potiphar's wife. He didn't say, I can't do this because I will get into big trouble if I get caught. By the way, they say Potiphar was the chief of executioners of Pharaoh. So his job was to butcher the bad people. So it's not a smart idea to mess with such a man's wife. You know, I saw someone in the store the other day with a t-shirt that said, it's only a crime if you get caught. 
So that means as long as you don't get caught, it's okay to do whatever you want. Our world's philosophy and ethics says that. But to Joseph, the issue was not getting caught. Even if Joseph was in a private chamber, safe and shielded from the eyes of the world, even if this were to be a secret between Joseph and Mrs. Potiphar, which would never ever be discovered, it still was not okay. Joseph saw his life as an open book before God. And he chose to honor the Lord. And when you honor the Lord, he will honor you. That's his promise. Now, wait a minute. Did God honor Joseph? Not from a human point of view, when you read what happened next. Potiphar's wife was so mad that she framed Joseph for rape. Joseph ended up in the prison and was being punished for a crime that he never committed. And maybe at this juncture in life, Joseph wondered, Lord, why did you let this happen to me? I was so faithful to my father and I ended up becoming a slave in a strange foreign land. I was so faithful to my master, Potiphar, and I get blamed unfairly and framed for something I never did. Now, it was impossible for Joseph to foresee at that point what the Lord had in mind for him. But God was weaving the threads unknown to Joseph, and we see the design emerging a little more clearly. Look at uh, Genesis 39, verses 20 and 21. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Now, the fact that Potiphar did not execute Joseph, but just put him in prison, confirms that he did not fully believe his wife's story. Joseph was not just in an ordinary prison. He was in a prison where the king's prisoners were kept. Here, Joseph would have the opportunity to rub shoulders with people who had been close to Pharaoh. The plot thickens when Joseph got to meet Pharaoh's baker and cupbearer. They are two of the most trusted men in the kingdom because the baker had the responsibility of making all of Pharaoh's food and the cupbearer's job was to taste the food before Pharaoh ate it to make sure it was not poisoned. If you think your job sucks, just be grateful you don't have the job of a cupbearer. <laughs> the cupbearer and the baker were accused of a plot to get rid of Pharaoh and both of them ended up in the prison where Joseph was. And they both have a dream that deeply troubled them. God had given Joseph the ability to interpret dreams. So as the baker and the cupbearer share their dreams with Joseph, he comes up with the correct interpretation. And just as per Joseph's interpretation, the baker is hanged, 
and the cupbearer is released and restored to his office. Joseph had one small favor to ask of the cupbearer. Just remember me when you get out of here. I've been here close to 10 years for a crime that I never committed. I'm innocent. What happened next? The cupbearer forgot all about Joseph. Are you kidding? How can this be possible? How can someone so easily forget after receiving a helping hand? Have you ever been bypassed, overlooked, or forgotten in life? Have people for whom you have done so much turned out to be ungrateful? God can overrule even that for your good. Joseph must have been greatly disappointed. But behind the scenes, God was weaving the threads unknown to Joseph. And we see even more clearly the design emerging. Joseph stayed in the prison for two more years. When he turned 30, it was 13 years since he left his home country. 13 years of heartbreaks and setbacks. The moment of reckoning finally arrives for Joseph. You know, our most important opportunities in life come when you least expect them. So you better be ready. Pharaoh had a dream that deeply disturbed him. In his dream, Pharaoh saw seven well-fed, healthy cows grazing by the Nile River. And all of a sudden, seven ugly, scrawny-looking cows appear, and they swallow the healthy ones. In the second set of dreams, Pharaoh sees seven heads of grain on a single stalk that is healthy and plump. But all of a sudden, seven wilted ones appear, and they consume the healthy ones. None of the magicians or wise men in Egypt could come up with an interpretation to these dreams. And Pharaoh's cupbearer recovers from his two years of amnesia, and he says to Pharaoh, I know of a Hebrew slave who's in the prison. He has the gift of interpreting dreams. And that's all it took. That very moment, 13 years of hardships and heartbreaks all came to an end. The disappointments turned into divine appointments. Listen to this. It does not matter how low you have fallen. It only takes a moment for God to raise you up. Joseph stood face to face before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he goes on to provide the interpretation for the dreams. There will be seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of famine. We better be prepared because the years of famine will swallow the years of prosperity. You need to know this. It's not Joseph's ability to interpret dreams that helped him to come up with this message. It's his knowledge of God. 
If Joseph was sulking in the prison and battling with bitterness in his heart and seething with anger at all the injustices that he had received, he would have been unprepared for the task at hand. Dr. Ravi Zacharias in his book, The Grand Weaver, says, at the end of your life, one of three things will happen to your heart. It will grow hard, it will be broken, or it will be tender. Nobody escapes. Your heart will become coarse and desensitized, be crushed under the weight of disappointment, or be made tender by that which makes the heart of God tender as well. Joseph's heart could have grown hard through all that he had gone through. He could have been crushed by the disappointments and turned out to be bitter and miserable. But Joseph's heart became tender and sensitive to God and his purposes. That's the only reason he was able to interpret those dreams. Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph that he promoted him as second in command in Egypt. And Joseph became the prime minister of the nation. Did Joseph have a degree in politics? Did he have to contest an election? He was not even a citizen of the nation. He was a foreigner, a slave, a prisoner, the last person to qualify for that top job. But because God had a plan for Joseph and he had a destiny in mind for him, he raised him to that position of influence. Never underestimate what God can do through a life that is fully surrendered to him. There was one thing remaining in Joseph's story. His own dreams were yet to be fulfilled. Seven years of prosperity came, followed by seven years of great famine. And it hit not just Egypt, but the surrounding lands as well, including Canaan, where Jacob and his family stayed. Jacob hears word that there is grain available in Egypt. And he sends his sons to Egypt to buy food. And Joseph's brothers come begging for food so that their family can survive. And after a dramatic set of circumstances, Joseph revealed his true identity to his brothers. They were so stunned that this brother that they thought they will never ever see again was running the affairs of the country. Joseph used his influence to bring his father Jacob and all his brothers and their family to settle in Egypt. And their lives were spared from the famine. That's how God preserved Abraham's descendants because it was his plan to bring the promised Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ, into this world through that lineage. A few more years go by and Jacob, their father, died. Joseph's brothers feared that this was the right moment for Joseph to take revenge Maybe he was waiting for this opportune moment to repay them for all their evil. You see, their conscience was guilty. 
So they come to Joseph with a made-up story in Genesis chapter 50 saying that dad had instructed him to take care of all of them. There are 11 men crouching before Joseph. Can you see the irony here? Can you see how the tables have turned around? They had inflicted so much harm on Joseph, caused him untold sorrow and years of pain. Now he is the prime minister of the land, and they are just Jewish herdsmen. And they stood trembling before Joseph. Their knees were locking in fear. They cast themselves at Joseph's feet. Joseph did not say what we would expect him to say. Remember how you mocked me saying, here comes the dreamer, let's see what becomes of his dreams. What do you have to say now? Joseph had no intention of taking revenge. Instead, Joseph's response is so deep and so profound. If you understand what Joseph is saying here, you will look at your adversities and disappointments with a totally new pair of eyes. Joseph is very clear here. What his brothers did to him was evil. He calls it for what it is. He's not going into denial. He's not pretending that it did not happen. What was done to him was a terrible thing. It was a great atrocity, and he calls it for what it is. But Joseph also saw the hand of God. You intended for evil... But God turned it around for good. But God, two little words, when they come together, they become a powerful combination, for it speaks of God's intervention. So that very act of evil that you intended against me, God flipped it around, turned it upside down, and worked it for my good and for his purposes. If that is your view of the adversities that you face in life, then every time you're let down by someone, every time you face a heartbreak, every time there's a health diagnosis or job loss, or when you enter into those dark seasons in life when all hell seems to break loose, you will not be disillusioned, you will not grow bitter, but like Joseph, you can stand confident on this truth that God's sovereign purposes for your life can never be thwarted. Let me say this in closing. As Joseph looked at his life backwards, the dots connected. Unknown to Joseph, God was behind every circumstance of his life and weaving the threads that brought about the most stunning design. I want you to carefully notice this chain of events as I walk you through Joseph's life backwards. Jacob and his sons and their whole family all landed in Egypt, and as a result, their lives were spared from the great famine. The reason they were able to come to Egypt was because Joseph was the prime minister of the land. The reason Joseph became the prime minister of the land 
was because he was able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams that none of the wise Egyptian men could interpret. The reason Pharaoh came to know about Joseph's ability to interpret dreams was because Joseph had acquaintance with Pharaoh's cupbearer. The reason Joseph had acquaintance with Pharaoh's cupbearer was because he was in the prison with him. The reason Joseph was in prison with the cupbearer was he was being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. The reason Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife was because he came as a slave into Potiphar's house. The reason he came as a slave into Potiphar's house was because the Ishmaelites sold him to Potiphar. The reason the Ishmaelites came in contact with Joseph was his brothers sold him off as a slave. The reason his brothers sold him off as a slave was because they were jealous of him. And the reason they were jealous of him was because their father showed Joseph favoritism and gave him a coat. Do you see how the dots connect? Because Joseph was part of God's story. God was behind the scenes and he turned every evil that people intended and worked it for good in Joseph's life. That's what I want you to take away today. There is nothing called luck. The word fate does not exist. There are no accidents or coincidences either. There are no random events in the Christian life. Our sovereign God connects the dots of our life in line with his story. He takes your disappointments, your setbacks and letdowns, and he weaves them into a tapestry and in turn brings forth a beautiful design. Nothing in your life is ever wasted if you live in God's story. As we come to a close, we're going to finish by celebrating the Lord's Supper. I want you to know something very important. God is not the author of evil. He allows it. He permits it. But he also ensures evil doesn't ultimately win. Instead, he uses that very evil to accomplish his own purposes. The clearest demonstration of this truth is the cross of Jesus Christ. On the day of Pentecost, Peter, in his speech in Acts chapter 2, says, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. The cross was a symbol of evil, in the ancient Roman world, the worst form of death that humankind had ever discovered. But today, the very same symbol, the cross, is a symbol of God's love and forgiveness and healing. How so? When Jesus was crucified on the cross, 
God took the greatest evil and turned it around into the greatest victory that in turn brought the greatest good for all of us. That's what we're going to celebrate today, the victory of God through the Lord's Supper. And even as we do that, I want you to take a moment to pause and look back at your life story and pay careful attention to the dots and how they connect. For you will see the sovereign hand of God behind every circumstances that you ever went through, weaving forth a beautiful design. You will not be able to see it looking forward, but you see it looking backward. I want to give a time for us to maintain a moment of silence, to close our eyes, and just look at your own life story. And look for the hand of God in your life. You bow down for a closing prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you. We owe it all to you for what you've done for us. You redeemed us. You paid the price for our sins. When we were far from you, when our stories made no sense, you brought us into the knowledge of the truth. And here we are today, trophies of grace that you redeemed for your purposes. And now we are made as part of your story. So even as we go forth from this place, help us, Lord, to live in line with your story. That even through our lives, your grand story will unfold and you will continue to reveal yourself to this world through us. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter 